that's kind of cool. Uh, good morning, Hope Church. It's good to be with all of you. I'm easily distracted and oftentimes difficult to bring back around, so I will try not to do that. But uh, uh, for those of you who don't know me, I was one of the founding pastors here a long, long time ago with Tom and Kathy. My wife and I moved here, and uh, we were here for, I don't know, seven or eight years, and then went to St. Louis and, and have been there ever since, which is where we come from. Oh, it's a long story. I won't go into all that. Um, what I, what I want to do is I want to read this, this other passage for you today and then uh, just jump into God's word. This comes from Mark 14, 66. Let's go to 65, actually. Let's say 65 through 72. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy, and the guards received or received him <laughs> the cards received him with blows goes on in verse 66 and as peter was below in the courtyard one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing peter warming himself she looked at him and said you were well, were also with the nazarene jesus but he denied it saying i neither know nor understand what you mean and he went out into the gateway and the rooster crowed and the servant girl saw him, and he began again to say to the bystanders, This man was with one of him, or was one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly, you are the one you were one of them, you were with the Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. So what's the most painful thing you've ever experienced in your life? You don't have to answer out loud. You don't have to raise your hand or anything. But just think about that for a second. What's the most painful thing you ever experienced in your life? If you were to ask me, I might be tempted to say, uh, when I was 10 years old, my it's a long story I'm not going to go into, but we were tearing down a house, and uh, my family was tearing down a house, and I stepped on a board that had come off the house, and there was a, a four-inch nail sticking up out of it and almost pierced all the way through my foot. That was painful. I might also think of the time I was 14, and I was riding my bike way too fast and tried to take a corner and uh, fell and wound up with, with road burn all up this side of my face and arm and so on. I also might think of the time I was, we were living here in San Antonio and I was putting a wood flooring into our house and I looked away because there was a sound. I was you know, hammering, doing a little hammering thing and smashed this thumb with a hammer and almost blacked out for a second. I'm pretty sure I blacked out because I was saying things I shouldn't have said and I must have been, you know, I wouldn't do that consciously, certainly. Um, <laughs> Actually, though, if you were to push me on the issue, the thing that was most painful was uh, the heart attack scare I had in the middle of the night back in 2017. Uh, how it all came about is probably irrelevant, but I woke Belinda up in the middle of the night and said to her, I'm either having the worst indigestion ever or I'm having a heart attack. And she drove me to the ER and they knew immediately and took me in there, and after two days in the hospital, they fortunately decided it wasn't a heart attack, which is great. The problem 
was, was that they didn't know what it was. They had no idea why I was experiencing that pain. Looking back, um, we were going through some difficulties just with, with our church and, and uh, people in our families passing away and so on. And uh, looking back on that time, I, I, I would probably say now that it was, it was an anxiety attack or a panic attack. Panic attacks often manifest themselves in ways that uh, look like heart attacks or feel like heart attacks. And for me, it felt like, like, it felt like Tom was dancing on my chest. I kid you not. I was in so much pain, I could hardly breathe. I could hardly get any air out. It was just a terrible, terrible experience. On the other hand, the other possible explanation, this is just a possible explanation, was the fact that I had drank 24 ounces of coffee and eaten a donut just about two hours before at midnight. Um, another long story that I'll get into some other time. But, but the fact is, is that that could have been the cause of it as well. You know, you drink 24 ounces of coffee, coffee at midnight and try to go bed on that. That's going to probably increase your blood pressure and do all sorts of things. So that was the most painful experience I've ever, ever had in my entire life, really. But the thing is, is, while all those incidents were extremely painful, they were all physical. Most of them were because of my own stupidity, and generally speaking, they were all fleeting. They didn't last very long. They didn't stick around forever and ever and ever. Once, once I felt better, I, I felt better, with the exception of the fact that every so often I'm reminded that the, the, the donut heart attack cost me $13,000 out of pocket. Um, <laughs> other than that... It's not very painful to think about it anymore. Still, if I'm really, really honest about the most painful experiences I've had in my life, the things that cause lasting sorrow, the things that sort of sit with you and you just can't get rid of no matter how hard you try, no matter, no matter how hard you, you, you put them out of your mind or do whatever it is that you do to deal with stress and pain, it's the, it's the emotional things and the spiritual things that cause me the most amount of pain that still sit in my heart and haunt me to this day. The death of a loved one, the demise of a significant relationship, the fear of, of an uncertain future, or even the shame and regret of a personal failure or sin. Whether such pain is the result of my own actions or someone else's actions or, or just circumstances. Sometimes it's just circumstances that cause that pain. Regardless, though, those pains last for days, weeks, months, even years. Think back to a painful experience in your life again. Circumstances were probably different. All of us could probably tell an entirely different story about, about what it was that brought about that pain in our lives. Some might recall the death of a parent or a child. Others might remember a spouse's harsh words. Still others might remember the agony of abuse. Those pains last a lifetime. And as varied as those sufferings are for each of us, our responses are probably equally as varied. All of us surely experienced sadness and sorrow because that's, that's what, what happens when pain is in our lives. We, we experience the sadness and sorrow. Most of us probably experience some levels of frustration and anger. Many of us likely suffered disappointments and regrets and on and on and on. Whether the events that led to such feelings are the result of my own actions, our own actions, or, or someone else's actions, or, like I said, just general circumstances, 
oftentimes such pains that we keep in our hearts, that we have in our hearts, those cause us to even doubt God, to question, to wonder why. Sometimes we may doubt Jesus claims to be who he is, right? We may doubt that he can actually do anything to heal the pain that we feel. We may doubt that he even cares and wonder, why is this happening to me now? In the midst of those trials and those sufferings, such questions, such doubt, that's a natural thing, that's a normal thing. I mean, think about it. Scripture gives us examples of, of people expressing that doubt. David did regularly throughout the Psalms, right? One of my one of my favorite passages expressing uh, uh, David's doubt and David's concern and David's questions to God. Where you know, just the the very first verse of Psalm ten, he says, uh, "Lord, why are you so far off from me? Why do you feel so distant?" How come I can't feel you next to me? How come I can't feel the comfort of your presence that I often feel in my life? Even Jesus, right? Even Jesus hanging on the cross said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's doubt. There's fear. There's pain. There's turmoil. Those questions are natural in times of trial, and yet I want to assure you all, God is big enough to handle those things. He's not, he's not thrown off by our questions and our doubts. If he was, oh my gosh, he wouldn't be God. He can't be. He's not thrown off by that. And because his son suffered for us, we could, we could take all that stuff to him. So in the previous section of the uh, of scripture that I just read, uh, what happens is Jesus is being tried for a crime that he didn't commit, right? He's tried at the high priests and by the high priests for blasphemy, and he's found guilty. Even though he did nothing, he's found guilty of blasphemy. Verse 65 tells us, as I read, that those attending abused Jesus physically, verbally, emotionally, even, even on some level spiritually. Questioning him, pushing him, mocking him, jeering him. But some of the worst abuse, some of the worst pain that was inflicted on Jesus that day came from Peter. From the disciple that was standing there with him. He didn't strike Jesus, he didn't mock him, he didn't spit on him, he didn't do any of the thing, things that the other onlookers or the other participants did. What he did was he denied him. Peter's doubt and denial were like daggers to Christ's heart. And yet, Jesus doesn't reject Peter for that. He doesn't turn his back on him. Because he suffered for his people so that so we could draw close to him, right? He suffered for his people so we could draw close to him, despite, despite our denials, despite our doubts. Jesus actually suffered our doubt for us. So that he could we could bring those doubts to him and say, Man, it doesn't feel like you're here. It doesn't feel like, like you care. It doesn't feel like, where are you, God? And make no mistake, Peter was definitely filled with doubt, right? It's kind of strange if you think about who Peter was. I mean, throughout Peter's life, he was doing things that kind of didn't make him look like somebody that would doubt. I mean, after all, he was the only one that was present at Jesus' trial. He was the only one that followed. He was the only one that seemed to totally disregard the danger 
that was around him or that was happening to him. Hardly seems like the behavior of a doubter. And yet it's not really surprising if you think about it. If you look at the rest of Peter's lives, there are, life, there are, there are times throughout his life where, where he's doing things that, that almost demonstrate bravery and courage. Almost. Not quite, but almost. Remember, it was, it was Peter that stepped out of the boat when Jesus came walking on water to them. Granted, he sank shortly thereafter, or, or started to, but, but he, did, he did step out, and that's, that's a courageous thing. He was the only one to assert that, I will die with you. He was the only one. He was the one that drew his sword when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus. But Peter's bravado, his boldness, his brashness, was really covering up an insecurity that was deep inside, an uncertainty, a doubt that he just couldn't get rid of. And all of that came to the surface when Jesus was led away. Though he physically stayed close to Jesus, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, he, he may have been on the other side of the world. Because it didn't really matter how, how close he was physically, he felt a long way from God. He doubted. So he remained silent. And he observed Jesus suffering from a safe distance. Well, reasonably safe distance. And yet, through his ministry, Jesus knew exactly the type of person Peter was. He wasn't looking at him like, well, this is a new revelation. If I had known, I wouldn't have asked you to be my first disciple. Jesus knew. He knew. He knew that fear would overtake all of his disciples in one way or another, and that they would scatter, and that they would go their different directions and, and pretend that they didn't know him. He knew that they'd all abandon him. He knew that he'd have to suffer alone, by himself, for their abandonment, for our abandonment. Of course, like Peter, we all have doubts, right? We all struggle with things. If you've had pain in your life, certainly you've doubted. Certainly you've doubted. Some of us have probably expressed our doubts in the same way as Peter, with this sort of veil of confidence and courage where we're like, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll just pray about it. It'll all be good. It'll be fine. We use spiritual-sounding words on a regular basis. We, we, do, we do good things. We do what Christ calls us to do. We serve. We, we give. We, we worship. We do all those things. But ultimately, sometimes we're using that to cover how we really feel, what's going on inside of us. Others may be more honest about their doubts. They readily admit they struggle. They, they realize that, hey, oh man, I just, I, I, I'm struggling to trust Christ today. I'm struggling to believe that he's got a plan. I'm struggling to, to understand what it is he is doing in my life. You may doubt his provision of his grace, doubt his suffering, you can overcome sin, doubt his power to save the world. Whichever it is, whichever you find yourself in, whichever camp of those two you find yourself in, the good news is, is that, that Jesus came to overcome those doubts. He didn't say he would erase them from us. He didn't say we'd never have them. But what he said is, when you have them, bring them to me. Bring them to the cross. And remember what I've done. He suffered our doubts during his trial and death and took them upon himself so that we could, we could draw near to him despite our denials. Denials. It's hard to imagine denying Jesus. 
but doubts left unchecked always lead directly to denial. During Jesus' trial, Peter went through a trial of his own in the courtyard, right? He, re- he repeated uh, his repeated denials of, of Jesus, of, of who, uh, who they were as far as their relationship together. They, they serve as both a caution to us and as a consolation. As a caution, they remind us that, that even what seems to be the strongest of faith is really quite feeble. So what we can't do is go around bragging about how, how great our faith is, how strong our faith is, how, how you know, we're just going to take on the world and everything's going to be great for us and we're never going to doubt Jesus because the fact is you're setting yourself up. You will doubt. They, those, those denials that, Jesus, that Peter made also serve as a consolation for us. And the consolation is this, and it's much, much greater than the, than the, the other part, the cautions. The consolation is this, that salvation, our salvation, your salvation, my salvation, is not tied to my faithfulness or your faithfulness to Christ. It's tied entirely to Christ's faithfulness to his Father and to you. It's about what he did. Paul says in Ephesians 2, it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is, this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. It's all because of what Jesus did. It's all on his faithfulness. It's all because he was willing to sacrifice for your doubts and your denials. It's all because of him. Peter's denials started, though, in the courtyard with a servant girl. She accused him of knowing Jesus, and as I just read, what does he say? He says, I want to get it right. I want to say it right. I don't know or understand what you are talking about. So now think of this for a second. I have had, uh, I, I've had Hebrew, Greek, and Russian, and French throughout my educational years. I failed French, so you really shouldn't count that. Um, but, but I took it, right? I took the class, so it, so it counts. I, I can... You just stay past the butter or something like that. Um, uh, Russian, I don't remember much of. I had two years in college. So I still don't remember very much of it. I remember most of the Greek, most of the Hebrew, because that's what you do in seminaries. You study the Greek and Hebrew and so on. Right? So I have, I have these languages. Um, but, but if someone speaks to me in those languages, I don't have any idea what they're saying. None whatsoever. That's what, that's what Peter's doing here. He knows exactly what she is saying. It's not like he didn't speak the language, but he's like, no hablo espanol. Like he's, he's just going, hey, just, let's just pretend for a second I don't know what you're talking about. And how do you do that with a, with, a, with a look on your face like you're being serious? I would giggle. I mean, I realized that his life was in danger and so he's afraid. And maybe I wouldn't giggle. But, but in my mind, I'm thinking, that's just the stupidest thing you could ever possibly say. Just say no if you're going to deny him. But I don't understand what you're saying is just almost ignorant. He's feigning ignorance. Just as he's about to walk through the door. But the girl follows, very persistent. And she asks him again, and he, 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 he denies it again. And then, then the crowd asks him. Others there begin to chime in and, and accuse him of knowing Christ. And, and this, is where, this is where it all comes out for Peter, right? He, he gets frustrated, like, you, you know how it feels when someone continues to say, you did this, you did this, you did this, and you get frustrated. You, you begin to get angry. That's totally understandable. 
Peter, it says in verse 71, Peter began to invoke a curse on himself and swear, I do not know this man whom, of whom you speak. Now, it's important to understand that, that, that Peter is not using obscenities. He's not being vulgar. He's not, he's not using that kind of curse. What he's, what he's doing is essentially saying, may God condemn me. May God damn me if I am lying to you. Now, it gives me a little bit of chills just to say that because I'm thinking, <laughs> wow, you're begging God to punish you. Right then and there. You're begging God to punish you right then and there. Does he really know what he's saying? On some level, I think Peter thought, okay, this will just end the suspicion. If I, if I call out the, 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 the biggest, you know, if I, if I use the biggest language I possibly can to say, this is how sure I am I don't know Jesus. If I do this, then they'll stop pestering me. And they did. But the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered, and his heart was crushed by the condemnation of knowing what he had done. Of course, Peter was not alone in his failure. We've all failed to claim Christ at some point in some way or another. Rather, we've denied knowing him by doubting his goodness, saying, Oh, God's probably not going to do, you know, but God, God's not going to do this. He just doesn't care that much. I mean, we're, we're denying him. We're denying who he says he is. Whether we've denied him by questioning his plan for our lives or ignoring his teachings and commands, ultimately we've all behaved just like Peter. We've all done that. We've all been in a position where we're, 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 we're denying and, and we know in our hearts, why are we doing this? But there it is. We're doubting Christ's power to save. He knew Jesus was innocent, but he decided that Jesus was not worth the risk. And yet Jesus did not feel the same way about Peter, nor about us. Jesus looks at us and says, you're my people, you're the people I've died for, and I'm, I'm dying for you willingly, with love, and, and, and as weird as it may sound, with joy to be the sacrifice for you. When we uh, first started Hope Church way, way back. Uh, we often sang this song. I don't know if you guys sing uh, How Deep the Father's Love. You still do that. Um, Y'all remember that song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us? There's a line in that song. There's a li couple lines in that song. Uh, I think it's the second verse, but I can't quite remember. It says, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. It's our sin that held Jesus on the cross. It's easy to look at Jesus, it's easy to look at the cross and say, well, if I had been there, it would have been different because I would have stood up for him. I would have said, hey, you can't do that. No, we wouldn't. We'd be cheering with the crowd. We'd be calling for his blood. It was our sin that held him on the cross he suffered so that, so that we could draw close to him, that we could come to him and say, look, I can't do this. I can't, I can't live like this. I can't live this life. It's hard. It's really hard. You know, Jesus, I know you know that life is hard, but you've never been through 2020. <laughs> it's hard. It's painful. 
It's a struggle. It's wrestling. But Christ died so that we can go to him with that and say, hey, you do know it's hard. You do know how it feels. You do know the struggles that I'm having in my life. Despite our doubts, our denials, Jesus suffered, and he suffered so that we could draw close to him despite the despair that often comes from the doubt and denial that just lingers in our hearts. But because he suffered for us, that curse, the power of that, that, that despair, it, it holds no power over us. We can, we can pass that to him as well. Just, just think about this for a second. Luke records the events of this, this evening a little bit differently. He, he actually lists out three things that happened that, that make for a relatively dramatic expression of what was going on. The first thing was that Peter finishes his curse-laden denial of Christ. He, he says, no hablo espanol, no, I don't know him. May God curse me if I am lying to you. So he says his three things. Rooster crows a second time. And what Luke records that Mark doesn't record is this. Jesus looked at Peter right then and there. The rooster crows. Jesus, look, Jesus looks at Peter. Peter knows. Peter knows. He knows what's happened. He knows Jesus knows. And what does, Peter, or what does Luke say? He, he, he wept bitterly. Not just broke down and wept, but he wept bitterly. He despaired. You ever had something like that happen to you? You've done something, whatever it might be, and, and uh, someone looks at you. I mean, it often happens to children, right? I took a cookie out of the cookie jar. I found the presents that mom and dad were giving me for Christmas when I was eight. Mom said, did you find those? She knew. Who am I kidding? Parents, kids, parents always know. That's just, we know. We might not push you on it. We might not actually, actually make you tell us the truth, but we know. We know because we've been there. We know how that works. The time that sticks out most in my life is a time when I was in high school. Uh, I, I, I mean, I suppose some people still think I'm a jerk now, but I was a real jerk when I was in high school. I, I, I think I'm a little better, and so I, I hope I'm improving. But in high school, I was just this guy. I don't, know how my, I don't know how my wife put up with me. I mean, we were dating in high school, and I don't know why she married me. I, maybe that says something about her more than me. But anyway, um, the, the, the point is, is that, that I was this jerk, and I, I, I said this one particular time, there was a young lady I was in class with. I said something directly to her face about her that was about the most pain. I, even now, it hurts me to think about it. It just hurts me. I'm ashamed. I have toyed with, you know, when, when Facebook came online and everybody was meeting their old high school people, I, I've actually toyed with, I've looked her up, I know where she is. I, I've, I've toyed with going to her five hours away and saying, I'm really sorry. I just need your forgiveness. And maybe you can't give it to me, and I totally get it. But the thing that struck me most about it was not just that I had said those words, it was the way she responded to me. I can occasionally have a quick temper, and so when people say mean things to me, I typically respond with things I shouldn't say, right? Um, she didn't do that. She didn't, 
she didn't lash out in anger. She didn't do any of that. She looked at me with the saddest look on her face. And my soul hurt immediately. And I, and I thought to myself, she's not sad for her. She's sad for me. And wow. It hurts to have someone look into your soul at times. It hurts to have them see the darkness and the dark things that are deep down in there when they well up and they come out. It, it, it hurts. It hurts because those things aren't supposed to be there. And we don't like to have them exposed. I simply can't imagine how Peter must have felt. There's Jesus getting ready to suffer. You know what's happening. He told you what was going to happen. And what do you do? Nope, don't know him. I'm with another group. We're just on tour, sorry. You know, my bus stopped for a little while. I just wanted to come in and see what was going on. When Jesus' eyes fell upon Peter, he knew. He knew he'd become the doubting, denying disciple that Jesus had predicted. He knew that he had failed his Lord and Savior. He, he feared that he had committed the unforgivable sin. He feared that he was beyond saving. He'd forsaken his friend. He felt the depths of despair, and he wept bitterly in that despair. His tears may have been an indicator of him being sorry, but more importantly, his tears were an indicator that he was broken and hopeless, that he, that he feared that he too would be denied by Jesus just as he had denied Christ himself. And he descended to the lowest depths of despair because he thought that there was no way back. That's, that's what despair does to us, right? Despair makes us feel like, oh, you're done. It's over. You're never going to get out of this. This is the pit that will swallow you whole. Some of you may know those same depths of despair. We look at our lives, our actions, our circumstances. We see the landscape around us is utterly devoid of hope, and we question whether we're just too far gone whether Christ will reach out and pull us back. Yet Jesus does not give up on us. He turns his gaze upon us, not to condemn us, not to say, yeah, you screwed that up. He turns his gaze upon us to let us know that he knows exactly who we are and he loves us that way anyway. He sees our doubt and our denial so that in his eyes we can see the depth of our own sin and brokenness and our ultimate need for him and him alone. So if you find yourself in the depths of such hopelessness this morning, or if you have in the past year or two years or whatever, if you're standing on the brink of that pit that looks like I can never get out of there, remember, remember these things. Jesus suffered and died, and he did so for all of our doubts, for all of our, for our denials, for all of our despair, so that he could take us off that road, that road of doubt, denial, and despair, which is a, it's, it's a road that goes in one direction away from Christ, and so that he could put us back on the road to him. Will you pray with me, please? Gracious Lord, we thank you that even amid amidst the things that we that we do to to doubt you 
things that we do to deny you, that the despair that that leads to, Lord. We thank you that you are not a Savior who looks upon us and says, well, I can't do anything for you. We thank you that you said, I know exactly what you need, and I will happily do that for you. Lord, thank you for the faith that you've given us. Thank you <coughs> for the love that you've given us towards you, towards one another, towards your Father. We pray that as we continue to worship in this place, that you would draw us closer and closer to you every moment of every hour, that we might glorify you in all that we think, say, and do. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.